Welcome to the Football Filling. This is an England special. We're only months away now from the major, major Euros. I'm with Dave Watson, goalkeeping coach supremo. My goalkeeper coach, you've been, what, Joe Hart, Fraser Fo- Name some others quickly for me, come on. I have to just have you at the top of the list. Just stick me there, just leave me there. Ben right? Foster, yeah. Joe Hart, Fraser Foster, Jack Butland. There you go. There's there a few. There's a few. Uh, we've got six or seven talking points today. We're not going to be talking about the Malta game because everybody knows it was absolutely miserable and it has no bearing on anything whatsoever. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. We're going to get straight into it then, Watto. Um, first things first, right? I want to know, where are England's strongest and weakest? So let's look at the departments. Goalkeeping, um, defence, midfield, attack. Um, and we'll go through it and we'll compare it and contrast it to other nations. And we'll see where we stand. Because going into the tournament, as it stands at this moment in time, we are favourites. We are clear favourites to win. Can you imagine that? Like In our lifetimes, that's never a thing, is it? No, look, I, I think we've got a phenomenal team, but when you're favourites, it brings its own pressures. But I think today it's real interesting conversation because we've got to decide how England are going to play yeah. in terms of the shape of the team. But then when you go through the departments and you compare them with other nations, I think that if you say that Europe's got eight top nations, I certainly think if we start with the goalkeeping department, if there's eight nations that we we, we really say we're competing against... I don't think, even if you go beyond our top three at the minute, obviously Pickford, last squad, in for sure. Ramsdale at the minute, in for sure. And Sam Johnson looks as though he's overtaking Pope to become the third choice at the minute. So if we compare those three with the other seven nations who we believe we're at least really going to be fighting with, then I don't think we're quite as strong as probably two or three of them. So... I think at the minute Portugal have probably got the strongest group yeah, of I, goalkeepers. Of goalkeepers, yeah, they've got three really seasoned ones. They've got Saar, who used to be at Wolves. Yeah, Patricio. Saar still is at Wolves. Saar still yeah. at Wolves. Patricio used, used to, be. to be at Wolves, and then they've got Costa, who's playing for Porto, who everybody's talking about. Yeah, so that is a real strong three. If you go then to Germany, the last uh, international to Stegen weren't even in the group, but normally. To Stegen, he's the number one. Number one. Yeah. You've got Neuer, who's coming back from injury, and you would think could get in there. Yeah. And then they've probably got Trapp, who's playing at Frankfurt. So that's a, a real strong three. But I always look at the, the the number ones in these group and the level they're playing at. So to Stegen, Barcelona, yeah. trying to win the Champions League. Then if you want to go to um, Belgium, who I think will be desperate for Courtois to get fit Without for the doubt. tournament. I've seen some videos, by the way, on the internet. He's, he's moving about already yeah. and stuff like that. Obviously, he's done his crew shirt. 
um, which is normally a six or seven, eight month, yeah. um, which means that should everything go according to plan, he should be fit yeah. for the Euros. And, and again, what we're talking about, it's the level in it. So they're number one. Courtois normally trying to win the Champions League. So Germany's number one, trying to win the Champions League. If you go to um, Italy, Donnarumma, Donnarumma PSG, yeah. trying to win the, the Champions League. So the ones who are at the real top of the tree, they're playing for big, big teams. And they're trying to win the Champions League. Uh, France, Maignan, AC Milan, trying to win the Champions League. And I think if you look at the English goalies, and it's not being disrespectful to the level, at the minute, Ramsdale's the only one out of the three in in a big team who are playing Champions League football, and he's not in the team. Yeah. Um, And unfortunately for Pickford, you know, Everton for the last three or four years have been perennial strugglers in the Premier League. Um, and it's not a reflection on him as a goalie where he's playing, but if you're really wanting your group of goalies to be at the top of the tree, they've got to be playing at the very, very highest level to go on to these big tournaments. Do you think this? Do you think this actually will have a bearing on it though? Because if you look at if you look at the last three major tournaments, for example, what is it we've done? Um, semi-final, final, quarter-final. I think Jordan Pickford has done. Unbelievably well. I really do. I do think he's done unbelievably well. And I think he'll be number one going into the Euros. I think that goes without saying. But do you just think that when you're actually at that tournament and you're in those big moments, the big moments, like the, the, the moments against France, for example, in the, in the World Cup where we got knocked out, do you think that's where having a real dominant Champions League playing goalkeeper can just be the difference? Yeah, I think it makes a difference. When you come into one of these tournaments, you're going to be talking about the one percenters that are going to win it for us. Yeah. And during this chat this morning, we'll talk about little elements uh, of where we can gain little one percenters. But in the goalkeeping department, and I agree 100%, I think for all that we can argue of Pickford's strengths and weaknesses in the tournaments for England, he's been phenomenal. What we're trying to say here is we're trying to compare our group with the other groups and where are we stronger, where are we weaker? And I think he's been unbelievable in the tournaments, but if you look at the depth of some of the other countries, we've probably not got that real depth playing at the top, top end of the leagues and then the Champions League, which, which can make a difference. Which is more important going into a tournament then? Is is it more important to have three world-class goalkeepers? Imagine you had three world-class goalkeepers playing for... One was playing for Man United, one was, sorry, Man City, one was playing for Liverpool and one was playing for Arsenal, yeah? All three of them goalkeepers were English goalkeepers. Do you think it's more important to have three goalies that are playing Champions League football week in, week out? Or do you think it's important to have, more important to have three goalkeepers that gel well and get on well and understand their role within that goalkeeping department? I, I think my personal view is I would certainly want one trying to be playing at the very highest level. Just he, one at least. Just one at least. At Club least. football and Champions League football. But for me then, if we talk about the coaching experiences and everything around it, I were fortunate enough to do three tournaments. We didn't do very well in the tournaments, if if truth be told. Um, but the the group and the dynamic of the group is very important when you're going to be away because you prep for a long time before yeah. the tournament yeah. actually starts. So if you're successful in that tournament, you're going to be away potentially for six or seven weeks and you're on the training ground day in, day out. You're eating breakfast, lunch, dinner. There's not much areas to socialise. So the dynamic of not only the goalies group, the whole group is very important. But I think for the goalkeeping department, it's very crucial that 
there's a clear definition of who's one, two and three. A pecking order. A pecking order. And that's not to say that number two or number three can't go into that team if there's a problem because they deserve to be in that squad. But I think it's obviously needs to be clearly defined who's got what role and responsibility during the tournament because as you're training day in, day out, you need the quality and the group to function to get the best out yeah, of everybody sure. within that group. Yeah, sure. And during my time with it, um, I, I thought we had we had a strong group. You you were in that group at times, but the training when when the group knows the order, in some ways, yeah. but wanted to get the best out of each and every one of you in every session. And the demands you put on the session were probably more so than the demands I put on because you wanted Joe to be successful when he yeah, won the yeah, goal. Yeah. For sure, because we wanted to push each that, other. That we? wanted to push each yeah, other, nice. and that were on and off the field. So even like I remember coming in the gym a, a few times with you guys, and obviously I was never the strongest in the gym, but you guys wanted to kill me <laughs> in the gym. But the dynamic of the group and how we had it, it were a nice environment. Yeah, so even things that weren't happening on the training field, the extras that you have to do that sometimes can become a chore, especially when it's in the summer when you're. Sometimes thinking, oh, half my mates are on the beach in Marbella or Dubai or wherever they go, and we're working towards an England win, and the extras that you have to do to prepare to train properly and be fit and strong, they're the hard parts that you see behind the scenes when you're not training, but but the dynamic of the group and the goal is pushing each other on, even in the gym sessions, like obviously it would only take you 10 press-ups to beat me, but you wanted to do 50, <laughs> 60, 70... And just little bits and pieces that make the week and the weeks more enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. That's what you're trying to create. I think in a dream scenario, you'd have three unbelievable top quality goalkeepers that could all get on well, could all gel, could all know a defined pecking order. But that is almost impossible. Um, and I, I listen, I, I think the goalkeeping department of England, I think I don't think we, we have to worry about it. At least, you know what I mean. Like I say, I'm agree, I agree with you. I think if you compare it to some of the top nations, it maybe falls a little bit short in comparison. But I'd say going into a tournament is definitely not something we've got to worry about. All right, we talked about the goalkeeping department. Actually, before we move on to like defence and midfield and the, and the attack, what what do you actually do with your downtime when you're at these major tournaments? Do you know what I mean? I remember being at uh, Brazil 2014 and we were staying on the Copacabana and in all honesty, we couldn't do anything, could we? We couldn't do anything. And you, like you say, you've been at three major tournaments. What is... What is there to do in your downtime? Can you just go out and get a coffee? Um, and who's the one that decides that as well? Yeah, I think the, the best way to create a culture is for you to feel as though you're in your club or you're living at home. Yeah. So how we make that happen, I think the one thing in my time with England, the people behind the scenes did their utmost, certainly in the hotels, Brazil being an example, where really we're in a hotel, we're on the beach, but there's like 100 armed guards there, you couldn't even walk down the beach no. if you wanted to. So it felt like you were like really encamped. It was, and like, it, a, it was like a prison almost. You, it felt time, like you were in it? a yeah. prison. And we as coaches, the football management, wouldn't want the players to feel like that because yeah. we wouldn't want that. We'd like to go out and get a coffee and have yeah. a walk down the beach. And in your downtime, you want to feel as normal as you can in these uh, moments. But certainly in the World Cup in Brazil, I thought that were uh, a ticking time bomb for us. But we weren't allowed and there was just nothing else for us to do. Yeah. But trying to create the culture that you have when you're at your own club or to feel as though you're at home, if you like, the staff behind the scenes really do unbelievable work with the hotels. You know, it's all decked out. It gives you all the, the modern comforts for sure, but you want to feel like you can have your time away from the spotlight within the hotel. 
Um, and obviously you have the pool tables, the gaming stuff, and and your spaces. I'm sure now that the tech golf simulators yeah, and all that. Of course, and yeah. Because you can't always get out on the golf course when yeah. you're in these moments. But I think for football managers and coaches, we want you to feel like you're that. So certainly in the downtime when you've done your training session, you've done your media commitments, you've done your gym work, there's, it's still a full day. But in your moments, you need to have a, a, a nice hotel room. You need to have the comforts you've got. But if you want to walk and have a coffee normally or um, go and sit in an area with your mates and just chat and do whatever and be away from football staff and be away from all the other things, that's what you try and create. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Because football just takes over the whole yeah. thing. You and need a time, break from it, don't you? The times you're away from it is very important. But even for the coaches, because you're watching videos of the opposition and hours and hours, we're the same. We don't always want to be where you are as the players because you need your bit, we need our bit. But then when we come together, you're not feeling as though it's fractious because you're living in each other's pockets. So the work behind the scenes to try and get the culture and the spaces right is really important. Look at Harry Kane's taking his own set of golf clubs to England, Judy. I bet you he is, you know. Uh, if they've got golf simulators, mate, if they had golf simulators back in the day, I'd have been there every single squad, all right? I would never have pulled out, I, I swear I know, but you'd have never been fit, would you? Mate, oh, I would have just been on the golf... I would have been on the simulator all night, but I guarantee you Harry Kane will take his own set of clubs, you know? Well, 100% I would say so, but if you look at um, St George's Park, where they'll do a lot of the prep, how did you feel at St George's Park as a player? Yeah. From the demands, because we've got great training facilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great gym facilities. So for me as a coach, I could do my work on the grass with the uh, sports science guys and the strength and conditioning. I knew we could put some real good programs or just continue your club programs in the gym because yeah. you've got all the world class facilities. You've got the recovery, recovery facilities at St George's Park. So there, you'd got everything for me as a football coach. But what did you feel? As a player, because again, for me, St George's Park, it's quite isolated. Yeah. No golf course there. Yeah, that's exactly it. Exactly, exactly. Again, it's you kind of feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. You know that you have to travel for miles and miles and miles to get to the nearest town, the nearest village, the nearest coffee shop. The, the weird thing with St George's is, is because it's a hotel at the same time and it's still open to the public, you could walk in from training or be walking, getting off the coach and... You've just got people around everywhere. So you, you're always... It's a, just a bit of a weird sort of experience, isn't it, being at St George's? I, I found it really strange because for, for me as a coach, 100% with you, as I just touched on it, you've got everything you need. Yeah. So you, th there is no excuses in terms of the professionalism. No, you've got everything you need facility-wise, but yeah. you but haven't the, got everything, like, human-wise no, or person-wise. No, no. You know what I mean? So if, if you went and sat to have a coffee with a few other lads, or even I sat to have a coffee... You were always up the top of the stairs, and because the hole at the bottom's free, yeah, everybody's up, everybody's lo looking, lo up. Lo looking up. It's and, like you're and, a and zoo you, animal. You felt like you were on show. Yeah. And a strange thing for me as a member of staff, I don't know if it's changed since my time, but the auditorium, we had to walk through the main reception. Yeah. So when I were doing some video work and I wanted the big, real big screens, and I wanted to go to the auditorium, and then if I had to pop back for something or whatever, 
because of the the way it was structured in the reception, and there were always courses on on yeah, that. Yeah. There were always the referees there, or there were always people in the game that I'd know because they're doing certain courses. That's where it were all based. And for me just to go and watch a video and come back and nip back would take me an hour, hour and a half. Yeah, I know. Because you can't feel as though you can just ignore people and walk past. You're getting stopped, so, you're talking, yeah. pictures. And this, that's what I mean, you're a coach. Imagine what it's like for the players. And I know they like a lot of people don't mind, but sometimes you just want to get your head down and go and do what you need to do. But you can't do that because you're walking no, through. It's, and it's, can I have a picture, can I have a picture, can I have a picture? And then one person sees that and then the rest come over and... It is, it's just a little bit strange, isn't it? It, it was a real open house environment, which I think, you know, we want the players to be more accessible, but there's also a killer on your time. Yeah, sure. And where the downtime comes, and I think I've, I've seen on the videos of them, I think they start walking the back way now, down yeah, to the, yeah, yeah. the pictures and things like that. And sure. that's not to, to, to want to be away from the no, public. No, sure, yeah. It's just that when you start a process, then everybody dives onto the back yeah, of that yeah, process. Yeah. So for me, England have got world-class facilities there, but it's interesting from the players' perspective because I always felt, as a coach, the players felt that St George's Park were great to do the the the, the job, but like away from the job, the downtime bit were a real hard hard part. Do you know why I think? Um, do you know why I think Qatar was such a success and why we did so well is because I, I kept seeing loads of videos where England had such a, a private space or a private area. They weren't getting mobbed by fans. Obviously, there's not hundreds of thousands of England fans out there anyway, mm. um, but it seemed everybody was just a bit more respectful out there. Obviously, the no-alcohol thing, so you didn't have people kind of losing their heads and going crazy anyway. But it just felt like they could, they could at night, go and sit and have coffees together and have a laugh. And the lads were putting videos on Instagram and their stories and stuff like that, and it just seemed everybody seemed really chill and sort of at home almost, you know what I mean? But that's, if you can get that feeling, oh, you, you for me as it. a coach and for you with the players, that's that that relaxed feeling, not not too relaxed for yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. but that feeling home as though home. you're at home yeah. and everything's as normal as it can get for you playing for your club team and you've created the culture behind it with the England team, you've got the right staff, you've got the right players, you've got the right environment, yeah. because we have got great, great players now. So if you can put all them things behind it in place, then I think we've got a real chance. All right, we started this uh, episode off talking about where England's strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, we completely detoured it and we've gone all over the shop, but it's good, though, because we enjoy this. This is what we want to hear. We want to hear the behind-the-scenes the, the stuff, the nitty-gritty, the details, what the players get up to. Um, I want to talk about the defence then, OK? Let's specifically talk about what the starting defence is going to be, OK? Because we're not fully sure ourselves, are we? We're not fully sure who's going to be playing at the back, if it's going to be three at the back. Is Carl Walker going to slip in there? Um, is Kieran Trippier going to start it could be absolutely anything, couldn't they? If you compare and contrast it to some of the leading nations, our competitors, the ones that we, we know we're going to be up against, the Frances, the Germanys, those sort of teams, how do you think we look? Well, I think it gives us a chance because the other teams are not quite going to know what we're going to do. So Malta, even though it's not a great test, Friday night we play 4-3-3. Yeah. I think our best shape to get our best players in the attacking formations is probably 4-2-3-1. Yeah. But then in the tournaments, we've played a back three. Yeah. So... It's nice to have plan A, B and C, if you like, because it can affect other teams. If you just are so regimented in your 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3 or whatever shape you play, it gives the opposition a lot of time to prep. Not in the tournament itself, but the coaches and the managers will know every detail yeah, about sure. our game. Yeah, sure. So if they're not quite sure, it does give us an advantage. But ultimately, we've got to be drilled and the team's got to be able to cope with our changes as well. Um, I think the centre-back area, for me, whether we play three or four, yeah. 
is a real area of concern. I think Stones, out of everybody we're going to probably talk about, is the one if he's fit, he's a shoo-in. Yeah. And he's he's really, when he's fit and well, for both England and City, at the very, very highest level. We need, if it's a four, to have a good partner with him. And I think at the minute that would be Maguire for me. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, there's, there's always a lot of talk about it. But he's back in the Man United team. And I think him and Stones is probably the best pairing as a yeah. two if we play a four. But then if you're going to play a three, the third centre-half, I think the way we're going, because we want to step one into midfield, you're probably going to be looking at a Kyle Walker yeah. and then play a Trippier. And if you Shaw's fit on the left, and, and that might be the way we go, which is probably how we had it in the final. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think we've got a lot of choice there. But if we're going to play a flat four, I think the two centre-halves, if anything happens to them two, then you're looking at Tamuri, Dunk, Colwell, yeah. Guayi, not a lot of real experience, international experience. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, competition experience. Yeah, no. There's a big difference, isn't there? Yeah, and I think tournament football is different. Yeah. So we've, we've just talked about all these players, Ben, but if you're in goal, you've played in a World Cup group game, so you've played it on the biggest stage, and we're talking about going into the Euros, you're playing in goal, you can't pick Southgate's shape. Yeah. So whether it's 4 2 3 1, 4 3 3, or we play a back three. Yeah. But when you're in goal, you want to know, certainly if it's a four, them two in front of you, you want them to be solid and you, they're your two main men. So out of what you're seeing in front of you at the minute, how would you feel if all of a sudden we'd lost a Stones or Maguire going yeah. into these games? I think if we lose a Stones or Maguire, we go back three. I think it'll be a, it'll be a back three. But do you know what? I, I almost think a back three suits us. I really do. I just think, um, and people will have their, their opinions on this and that's exactly right, but I love the thought of having Kyle Walker as one of those centre-backs. <laughs> I really do. Because I know that guy can just cover for everybody. He'll cover for everybody and anybody. Uh, we've seen it so many times where England have been on the attack and he's had to shell it back and he has done. He gets back and he helps everybody out. I think especially when you're playing alongside a Maguire who, in all honesty, is a header and a kicker, isn't he? Do you know what I mean? You know he's, what you're going to get from him. He will be steady Eddie and he will he will head and kick. But he's not going to be the most mobile and he's not going to be the most rapid. I think that's where Kyle Walker, that's where he can do that bit of front job going forward. So I don't think it impedes us by playing three centre-backs at all because I think he gets forward so much. Luke Shaw, you know he's going to get up and down all day long. Who plays at right back? Probably Kieran Trippier. Maybe. We'll see. Um, but either way, I think them with the attacking threat we get up and down the wings from those wing-backs, wing I, I don't see no problem with whatsoever. Well, the thing is, if it becomes 3-4-3 three, three, and then... We'll go on to the next bit, but then if you've got your two real good sitting midfield players, yep. your wing backs then become incredible. Kyle Walker can join him, yeah, sure. exactly. you can release one of the sitters yep. higher up the field, and then you get your best attacking players in the team. Do as you know well. what? The, the beauty of all of this is, I think, I think the defence is one bit that pro there's probably the holding midfielder, the one holding midfielder alongside Declan Rice, and then it's the wing backs or or the right back or left back is. Between now and now and the competition is going to be the most interesting, the most talking points because they're really the only positions that can change. I think when we get further forward, there's obviously it's going to be about form and it's going to be about Foden or Saka or Rashford or all of that. But we know that we've got world class players in that position. I think at this moment in time, between now and the tournament starting, is it's going to be really interesting to see who's on fire, who's fit, and who's firing. Yeah, but for Gareth as well, it's he knows the players is going to be able to trust going yeah. into the tournament because it is different. So if we think 
whoever the best 11 are for this tournament, then it may be that Kyle Walker does play on the right side of the three yeah. because if everybody's fit and well, my preference would be to have Trippier then on the right yeah. and have a proper left-back or left-wing-back yeah. because then you've got the balance to the team. I think if we have to play Alexander-Arnold, for instance, as a right-wing-back rather than a midfield player and then you play Trippier on the left... Gareth Southgate would never play... Trent Alexander-Arnold as a midfielder. He'd never play him as a right. Well, I, I don't think so either, but I think these are the, the, the little nuances that we have to talk about. But I'd prefer to have a left wing-back and a right wing-back. left-back. And then, right then I think you've back. got balance to the team. You can play with two sitters, and then you've got the licence with the front three then. And that we talk about where we're potentially weak. I think when we come then to the front areas of the team... We've got so many riches. I think there's going to be so many good players don't even get in the squad this yeah, time. for sure. In the front areas of the field. Let's talk about the, the, the two holding midfielders then, OK? Um, it's, it's Declan Rice. It's guaranteed. Yeah. Who's, who's going to start alongside him? Honestly, at, at the minute, I feel as though if we're talking about tried and tested and going into tournament football, and I'll probably get my head shot off here because the level he's playing at, I think at the minute he'd probably pick Jordan Henderson. Really? Because to start he, in that third, very first game? Yeah, I think so. He's been there, done it. He's playing in tournament football. He's going to look after himself. Yes, the level of the football is different, but he's going to look after himself and he knows what's required to go and play for England. And I don't think he'd let us down in that first game. When you get deeper into a tournament and you're talking about the best of the best, I think that might be an area then where it might can, can a player Can a player who's playing in a, a much lesser league, a much lesser league, let's be fair, um, can he, with two, three weeks of training with these top players, what's, so like I say, when, when it gets to the end of the season, Jordan Henderson's going to get called up by the England squad, he's going to join back in with the players, the level straight away just goes woof, yeah. higher. Can he step that straight up, a player of Jordan Henderson's ability? I think his experience on the match field would allow him to do it. Whether he's got the quickness in the brain and the sharpness of the feet because of the dropping level, that then can become a test. But hopefully when we get the draw and we get a favourable draw and you get a couple of easier games, shall we say, yeah. if he can have a couple of friendlies pre-tournament yeah, and then yeah, ease yeah. himself in, I think then by the time you get to the latter stages, he would be ready good to and, go. and he'd be how, good how to go. How many friendlies do they normally have? Normally play two... At least two friendlies, I Two would or say. three friendlies. I think that's more than enough time. I really do. I think you'll have probably two or three weeks of training yeah. um, and two or three friendlies, yeah. probably enough to get you back up to pace again, isn't it? Yeah, I would have said so because if, if we get that area right and he does play with wing-backs or even if it's 4-2-3-1, um, you, you, your full-backs are still going to go. Those two sitters there are going to be a real key for the England team. What if Calvin Phillips gets a loan move in uh, in January and and plays week in week out in the Premier League and and, and does really well? Do you think he he's, he's got a start? Well, I think he probably would um, warrant a start above then a Henderson yeah. because if he's getting he's the minutes the Premier League. and he's playing at a real good level and obviously Gareth's got a feel for him because he's always picking him the same as he picks Jordan the same so. He obviously likes the type. He likes the character. You know, we've spoke about the environment that you're trying to create. Yeah. But ultimately, you've been a player at big tournaments. You want 23 lads on the same page. Yeah. So if you're a player going into a tournament, you need to know that the other 22 lads are going to be similar to yourself in terms of obviously wanting England to win it for sure. There's nobody in the room on their own on a night Packing his bags, thinking, 
I need to be going home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All 23 of you have to be on the same page. And it's interesting for me, from your perspective as a player thinking, right, what what's the characteristics of these other 22 that I need around me? Yeah. Because if I have that down day one day in that tournament, which is surely going to happen, yeah, yeah, yeah. you've all got private lives at home, you're not going to be with your families, yeah. you're not going to be wives, kids. What do you need from the other 22 plus the staff to get you through that tough day? Yeah, sure. And I think it's having the relationship with the players and the coaches because in that time, everybody's going to have a tough time and it's making sure you've got the right tools this, around you. This is where I think people just, they, they, they see these, these superstars, these England players, footballers as just machines. They just think it's kind of like the alarm goes off in their head at eight in the morning, they wake up, they play football, they come back and they just sit down again and do nothing. And no thoughts go, go through their brain whatsoever. There's no, there should be no doubts. There should be no other thinking about anything. It's like, focus on football, would you? You're at the Euros. Yeah, it's a massive time. No, that's not how it works, is it? They're human beings. They're people. They have downtime and they need to, they need to just be human beings as well, don't they? It's not, it can't all just be sport. It can't be all consuming, no. can it? But they have to have relationships with players in the group, senior staff, but also, you know yourself, part of the massive part of this is like the physios, uh, the masseurs, yeah, the, the, kit pe- the kit men, the yeah. people that you spend a lot of time with that are not seen as senior staff. And I'm not being disrespectful to them because I always really wanted to resonate and spend a lot of time with these guys because they were the ones that serviced you guys the most. They yeah. spent the most minutes with you. But all these people have to be real positive guys. Because they, when you have that down bit, they've got to drive you forward. Because yeah, it can't be the England manager, it can't be the assistant manager, it can't be the goalie coach, it can't be the assistant coach or whatever. You know, th- these people who nobody ever sees, they're the ones who spend the most minutes with you guys. Yeah. So for us as staff, that department there were really key to it, as well as trying to get the they're, other 22 they're the ones guys that have around to drive you. it as well. You, you've got a job as coaches, but them guys have to have a smile on their face every day. They have to be upbeat and positive and optimistic and they have to really drive the players. Yeah, when you're laying on the uh, couch in the afternoon, you're knackered, there's another session tomorrow morning and you've got to go again and they're saying, oh, I'd love to be at home. I could be in Dubai with a family. One of my kids is ill. They can't get sucked into that. They've got to drive you forward and say, look, Ben, this is the Euros here. We're trying to win it. But, but you have to know as uh, senior staff that they are doing that behind the scenes. Yeah, sure. Because we're in the video room. We work, we're not with... They're the people who are with you the majority of the time. Yeah. And when you talk about a culture, that's important. And if that culture is not the strongest and they become weak at that time, you're saying to the master, oh, I want to go home. And he's saying, oh, yeah, I'm missing my... And it just seeps into it. You you can't have that. And everybody's got to be driving the same. But you know, because you've been there, that not everybody out of the 23 and not everybody out of that behind-the-scenes room there, not everybody has a good day every day. And you've all got to push each other and knock each other forward. And you're just seeing the end goal. And that's one thing I would say with Gareth. He seems to have got everything spot on. The culture seems to be there. I think they, them guys, you just mentioned the physios, they really are the young sung heroes. They are. They're the young sung heroes. They don't really get any of the credit. They don't get any of the, the TV time, the, te- the paper time. But behind the scenes, everybody really knows that, don't they? Let's talk about um, the front line, OK? Let's talk about the forward players. This is why England are the favourites, mate. This is why England are the favourites to win this competition. We are better than everybody else in these positions, aren't we? I, th- I think our, our depth is phenomenal. We've got we've got the best centre forward who's going to be at the tournament yeah. as a recognised nine, and I think we've got the best player in the world at the minute. 
and the one thing that I think we cannot do without come the summer is missing a Bellingham. Yeah, because sure. he will be the game changer for us. So you've got two players there that are at the very, very highest level. And Kane, this might be his last chance at being in his peak powers in a tournament. And you've got then on the opposite side of that, Bellingham, who's already had a major tournament, yeah. and coming into this thinking, we've got this, boys. And then it's what you do around that. Yeah. And that's why I said in an earlier segment there, there's going to be a lot of real good players not even get on the, on yeah. the play. This, 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 is, this is all it is now. Between now, again, and the, the, the summer, the tournament starting, the likes of your Sackers, your Grealish, your Foden, Cole Palmer. It's going to be who's firing, who's on form, isn't it? It's as simple as that. Well, I think Gareth, naturally, he looks at all these players week in, week out. But I still think at the 23 that he, he wants to take, there's probably only two or three places up for grabs. Yeah. I think he's got... Realistically. Money, realistically. And it would then take an Anthony Gordon to have the last six months of his life playing for Newcastle. Obviously, Madison fit well. He's going to be a shoe in because he's the straight replacement for Bellingham if yeah. you play four two three one in behind the centre forward. It's the wider players that I think there's a chance. And then I think the big thing is who do you take as the second centre forward? So Kane's a shoe in. Yeah. So then you've got Watkins, you've got a Tony, you've got a Calvert Lewin, and you've got Wilson. So there's yeah. four behind Kane there. And how many out of that five are you going to take? Kane's going. Yeah. And you've got four more choices. And we haven't talked about the wide players who you've got. So you need at least one more centre forward, don't you? You're taking one. It's whether you, you risk it and take two, and then risk leaving one of the one of the other those wingers that we've mentioned. Yeah, one of them out. That's the that's going to be the difficult part of it, isn't it? So we're playing four two three one first match. Bellingham in behind Kane. Okay. So who, who, who are the have... four now? Are you taking? Who starts on the other behind side of Kane? as a centre-forward, to take in that squad? I think, as it stands, it's got to be Ollie Watkins. Yeah. I think, at this moment in time, I'm taking Ollie Watkins. I think, um, he's, he's obviously had a belting season so, so far, but I just think he is getting better and better and better. I think with some of the other, other players we've mentioned, obviously, I, I think even Tony, it's going to be difficult because he hasn't played for so long. It's going to be interesting to see what he does. I think Callum Wilson, he's, I think even with the, I think if I remember rightly, the Qatar World Cup, there was always a bit of a doubt about his injury record. Um, he, he does seem to pick up a lot of hamstring injuries, stuff like that. Um, Ollie Watkins just seems to be fit and I think he's getting better and better and scoring goals. But it's going to be, it's going to be, the final few months of the season that will define it. I guarantee it. It no, will be that. No, for sure. And I think if obviously Kane and Bellingham are shoo-ins all the time, really, the centre-forwards getting minuscule minutes. Isn't yeah, it? Know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hopefully we get through the group early and he can start the last group game. Yeah. But that's probably going to be his only start. But as well, you know, you've got to remember, it's, it comes down to the personality of that player as well. So Gareth Southgate needs to know that if he's picking an Ollie Watkins or a, or a Callum Wilson, he needs to know that that guy understands yeah. he's not going to play very often. He's not going to get there very many minutes and he's got to be a team player. And that's the bit that only he will be privy to. Do you know what I mean? It's the bit he will be able to see behind the scenes is he a team player? Does he want us to win? Is he going to help everybody else out? And and that's the reason why sometimes he picks players that everyone else is going, what? How is he getting into the team? We don't get to see all those bits and bobs, no, do we? And I think this is the important bit for the day after the game. Yeah. What 
for me then is really important as a coach because there's only 11 players can play. Yes, if you use three or four subs, depending on the minutes, then that's how long they actually play, isn't it? Yeah. But the, the day after the game, you've got to service potentially 10, 11, 12 players yeah. for a session. Yeah. And what we talked about environment and culture, these guys who are not in the team, they've still got to train properly the next day because there's somebody probably in that group who Gareth might have saved for the yeah, next game. The next game. And the whole session is dependent sometimes around one or two certain players yeah. making sure they're ready for the next game. And all that group of players have to be on board for that session. Yeah. It's important that you've got the two goalies not sulking and they're training properly when you go into the small-sided game, which everybody wants to get a buzz out of. But when you're doing the ta- a little bit of tactical work, everybody's got to be at it. Every day in that tournament, driving everybody it, on. It sounds it sounds like the most obvious thing in the world. It's like if you said well, they're, at, they're at a major tournament, of co- of course they're going to be at it in training. But you don't understand what it's like when you haven't played the night before. The emotions, the high, there's a roller coaster of it all. Yep. That the next day, the Sunday, for example, let's say, when you wake up and you know that they're all just doing a pool session today. They're starting 11, 12, 13, are doing a pool session. They're chilling. They're getting their feet up today. You know you've got to go and do a training session, full-on hardcore training session. You've got to give it everything you've got. It's Again, it sounds like it should be the most natural, easiest thing in the world, but it's really not, is it? It's the hardest thing because it's the only time, the, the however many, hopefully we get seven games and we get to the final. So for six after six games, it's the only time in the whole build-up and the whole group session, that the group split. Yeah, it's the only time. Yeah. It's the only time we've got to have a separate group working properly on the training yeah. field. The other lads are doing the recovery bit, and that bit has to be spot on. You have to demand from us as staff that it's a proper training session and at the level required. Yeah. But then we as staff have to demand of you that because doing it properly. Doing it properly because there's always one or two players that the manager will be thinking about for maybe a little bit further down the line. So that's got to be spot on. And also, you've got players who, like you say, you want that group to be fully fit every time. So I don't think going into a tournament you can carry too many who you potentially worry about being robust enough to do the seven games. Right, everybody, this is world class. You're getting some proper insight here. Proper, proper insight from uh, former England goalkeeper coach Dave Watson. We've been at tournaments. We've played in tournaments. We know what it's like, the behind the scenes, the nitty-gritty... Let's move on a little bit, what, OK? I want to talk about Nick Pope. Why isn't Nick Pope in the England squad? Well, it's a really difficult one, I think, when we spoke about the other nations earlier and the levels of their goalkeepers. So, out of the English goalkeepers at the minute, Nick Pope is playing at the highest level, i.e. he's playing in the Champions Champions League League, in Newcastle. Um, And I think it would be wrong of us to dismiss him because maybe he pulled out of the squad in May because he needed surgery, because he doesn't seem to have had a look in since that moment in time. And that's not being disrespectful to a Sam Johnson who's playing really, really well at Crystal Palace. And he deserves some recognition for what he's doing, for sure. But when we talk about at the very top of the tree, Nick Pope is playing at the highest level in England at the minute. He's the only one playing Champions League football. Ramsdale at the minute is not even playing football. Um, So I think... For him not to be in there, purely for me, it's just on the modern way, if you like, and that's that the, the management and the coaches don't seem to think he's as capable with his feet as the other guys. Is that, is that what you think it is, honestly? That, that, that's the only thing I can think, because I think he makes as many saves and as many important saves as any of the other guys. But because of his size, he just probably doesn't look as comfortable. But that's not to be saying... 
to his detriment that he can't do it. Under Eddie Howe, Newcastle try and play football. Yeah, they do, yeah. So he's playing football. Whether they think he's not to that level, uh, I'm not quite sure. I, th- I think I agree with you because I think if you if you look at the goalkeepers and actual goalkeeping, stopping the ball going in the back of the net, making big saves, coming out, taking crosses, dominating, I think he's the best. I think he's the best out of all the English goalkeepers. He's the most dominant goalkeeper. He's the most dominant. I think he. I think he's. I think he's the most difficult person to score past. That, should we put it like yeah. that? Uh, do you agree? Yeah. He's uh, tough. So, so if we we're talking about actual goalkeeping, then he's probably the top. Okay. That isn't, I think, what Gareth Southgate wants in a goalkeeper, though. I think Gareth Southgate wants this ball-playing goalkeeper. It's the possession base. He wants that sort of sweeper keeper. He wants it to start from the goalie and then that can just come in and out and in and out for him as much as it wants. So I I feel bad for Nick Pope. I really, really do. I'm happy with all the goalkeepers we've got. I'm happy with the England goalkeeping department, but I just feel really bad for Nick Pope. I feel really bad for him. As I said at the start of the piece, he's playing at the highest level and surely that has to represent something. Yeah, sure. As an English goalie when, yes, I think we've got some real talent behind it, but at the minute, when you're playing at the highest level with your club, and you're playing in the Champions League. And you're playing well. And you're playing well, yes. yeah. And Newcastle uh, are trying to, you know, keep getting in the top four. He's playing Champions League football. He knows what it's like to play two, three games a week. Big expectation at the clubs. He's obviously played for England. He's been in, a ra- in and around the environment a long, long time. I think he would be uh, a real benefit to have in it. And, and I think, ultimately, he's very unlucky not to be in there. But if you want to then change the whole story round... The one person who I think is the most vulnerable at the minute is probably Ramsdale. Yeah. Because if he's not playing any football at all, then he can't be necessarily second choice for him. Yeah, sure. But I feel, I feel bad for, for Ramsdale. And the story is very reminiscent of when uh, Guardiola, to me, went in at Man City. Whereas Arteta has at least given Ramsdale a chance yeah. at Arsenal. Yeah. And he's made a decision over a, a year's Grace, if you like. Yeah. Whereas Guardiola went in at Man City, decided Joe Hart weren't for him, like boom, and chopped his legs off straight away. And I thought that was a really harsh decision. Yeah. And Joe suffered not only internationally, but in, in terms of club football. Yeah, he did, yeah. You know, that was a real brutal moment in his career. And thankfully, you know, he's, he's come through all that and he's doing really well at Celtic now. But I, I find similarities with that story with Ramsdale because... Yeah. Um, Arteta's obviously made the same decision that he's not as capable as Raya with his feet and he wants to play the high um, possession-based football. But where does Ramsdale go now then? Yeah. Would you expect to be in the England squad as a player if you're not playing no, for your club? No, I wouldn't. I, would, I, I, I reckon that even this time round, Aaron Ramsdale would have gone, ooh, surprised I've been picked there, to be honest. Yeah? Yeah. I'm surprised I've been picked there. Gareth Southgate knows he's a fantastic goalie. He's a great lad and he's going he's gonna to help the team. But I think Gareth Southgate opens himself up to questions from other people when he selects an Aaron Ramsdale. So how come Aaron Ramsdale hasn't played for the best part of two months now, yet you're still picking him in the squad? Nick Pope is playing really, really well week in, week out. How does that work? And I think that's, that's probably the bit where Aaron would have been a little bit surprised. Because if it was me, I wouldn't expect to get called into that England squad. What I will say, though, is Nick Pope... 
he's doing all he can do. He, he knows he knows that he's doing all he can do. So when these international breaks come around and he's not selected, he can go, do you know what? It's a chance to get fit. I can maybe go on holiday for five or six days, have a nice little relax, a break, a refresh from it all. So it, it, he will benefit from this as well. But um, I do, I feel... I, I feel no, but as a goalie, this is taken out of your hands. Um, you know, the England staff have to pick the three goalies and they have to make a decision on it. I think the pressure will come when you get to the, the, the March internationals, yeah. which is the last set really before you name your squad and you have the friendlies, and then you'll have a decision to make. Uh, I remember one um, pre-tournament, it's the only time we ever did it, but in the March one, we picked the f- top four goalies. Yeah. And that were really not to lose one of you in terms of mentally, yeah. because you can't guarantee that all the three that we would pick would be fit. Yeah. So we just picked four so that, Really, every one of them was. Oh, I've you, got a fighting you've chance. You've still there. got two I've or got three months to keep going, yeah. And ultimately, the one if we left one out and one of the three of you got injured, he'd be like, Oh, I'm only calling in because he's got, yeah. So that, but that, that were our thinking at that yeah. time. Let's bring four in, and if anything happens at the end, then we've we've not isolated anybody, yeah. We've got four goalies mentally good to go. That, yeah, one of them, if they miss out, it, yeah. they, they can go, Cool, I give it everything I've got. And that's it. It's so it's just that. a different way to look at it. But I think Ramsdale will have some big decisions to make in January. I don't know, obviously, in this camp, if he will have sat down or Gareth will have sat with him and said, look, you know, we need you to be playing football. Cause, yeah. But he would want to be playing football. All footballers want to play football. So he's not going to be happy watching David Raya uh, do it, do his bit for sure. But it's interesting, isn't it? Into the, After the international break, Arsenal play Brentford. Yeah. So Raya can't play. So Ramsdale's going to get that opportunity to maybe stay in. We love it. We love it. What a good good goalie talk. We love this. Um, right. I mentioned at the beginning of the show that England are favourites to win the Euros. Um, does that in itself bring a lot more added pressure? Because in my lifetime, same as yours, you're older than me, we've never been favourites going into a major tournament. No, I think um, you know you playing for England brings its own pressures. Working for England brings brings its own pressures. And you like to think going into any tournament that I were involved in uh, as a coach, right? We we're going to be good enough to win some. That, that that's the holy grail. That's what we all wanted um, to try and think we could win it. But we were never, I would say, anywhere near yeah. favourites for the tournament. I think with this group of players. Behind the scenes, they know that they're a good team at the moment. I don't think that's going to affect them in any way, shape or form because of the form we've had in the recent tournaments. This is Southgate's fourth major tournament with England. Yeah. I believe the team is now primed to win. Yeah. If we don't get beyond the semi-final, do you believe that this group of players and the manager will think that we've failed? Oh, not just. I, I don't think it'll just be Southgate or the play, The whole country, mate. Honestly, if we go into a tournament, if we go into a tournament as favourites, anything other than winning that tournament, right? Yeah, anything other than winning that tournament will be seen as a failure. It is as simple as that. So if we're going in as favourites, anything, I'll promise you, this country, my God, we do not let you get away with anything. We do not let you get away with anything. So anything other than a win, a major tournament win, it'll be a failure. It'll be simple as that. And there'll be people calling for Gareth Southgate. We saw it the other night. We beat Malta 2-0 in a... It's a dead rubber. It is genuinely a dead rubber. Can you imagine how hard it is trying to get players up for a game like this against Malta? Yeah, yeah? So, so it's, l- it's impossible. Yeah, so let me let me finally flip it then onto um, Gareth, and I'm not here to, to talk about what he's done and what he hasn't done because I think his time with England has been phenomenal, yeah. to be honest with you. Um, but do you think going into this tournament when 
you could talk about having top, top managers who are at the top of the English game because his contract finishes in December. Do you think he's too safe with his tactics for England to win this tournament? Oh, that's such a good question. I think the, the, the rhetoric, the sort of the way the public opinion is that Gareth Southgate's tactics, uh, tactics are too safe. I think that's what people think. But I think the way that we play and us, the way we set up, it, it lends itself to winning games. Yeah, and I think you can go, you can go a lot more aggressive, and you can go a lot more attacking if you wanted to. Gareth Southgate could, anybody could, with this England squad, easily do that. But that is not necessarily more conducive to winning games, if that makes sense. No, yeah. do you know what I mean? You have to have, you have to have a, a solid foundation and a solid base, and then when you get the chance to give the ball to the good players, you go, go on then, and go and do something. And I think what because we have got an embarrassment of riches and talent and ability, I think they, they think, I, th- I think people think genuinely it's like playing football manager or championship manager or something like, it's like you, you fill your, play, your team with the best players and surely they just go and do it. No, it's, it's about tactics. It's about, it's about opportunities and reading the game and reading moments. And, um, and I think that's what Gareth Southgate's tactics do. And I'm actually fairly happy with the tactics and how cautious he is because it allows us to build with a solid platform, and then when we get the chance, boom, we go and go. So, so that's where I stand on it. Would a, would a Guardiola or would a Jurgen Klopp, for example, would they be able to get more out of this England squad? Wow. Um, wow, I think possibly. I yeah, think well, possibly. But, that, but that's going to be the, the, the question, isn't it? Hopefully we win this tournament and Gareth will be able to walk away and he's left a great legacy. But then... When you talk about what's next, is it Southgate's final tournament? What is next to replace him? Yeah. Surely, for the English FA, they have to try and get best in class. Yeah. And best in class at the minute, whether we like it or we don't, are the two managers at Man City and Liverpool. Yeah. And that is where they have to start. I would love it to be an Englishman. And the guy who's doing the best at the minute for me would be Eddie Howe at Newcastle. Yeah. But is that a sentimental feel? Because I feel as though we want we're the best Englishman, so I want to represent English coaches, English managers, or are we saying, no, for England to be at the top of the tree in world and European football, we have to isolate it and we have to try our utmost to get one of these two guys. If you remember in 2007, Mourinho were probably seen as the best manager on the planet yeah. and the English FA really tried before Capello to try and get Mourinho. At that time, obviously, he weren't, he weren't interested in that. But I think post this tournament, we have to get whatever is seen as best in class. I, um, I think if we had Pep Guardiola as England manager, we would win tournaments. Who would play in goal for Pep Guardiola out of the three goalies now? Fwah, golly, golly, Gumdra. He could, he could pick anybody. He could pick, I think he'd pick um, Steele at Brighton. Or Trafford. Or Burnley. Trafford, or uh, Burnley, yeah, genuinely. It could be a, oh, I, I, yeah, he would completely true. change it. He that, would completely change it. He, have you right. seen the way Steele does it for, for Brighton, by the way? It is outrageous. But that's, that, that would be my feel. And I think that's where you talk about the tactics and the evolution of yeah. everything. So already we've spoke there, if there were a change, that he would change the, the whole He would. Tactical it would outlet. be completely changed. It would. And it would be... That's because that's the way he wants to play. That's the style of play that he wants to go with. And, God, that's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> that is a can of worms, if ever there was a can of worms. A can of worms, yeah. All right, so, so carrying on with, with the England theme then, um, Gareth Southgate, his, his contract runs out in 2024. Um, 
assuming he doesn't win the tournament, okay? Assuming he doesn't, which we're all hoping he will. We all want him to win. We want England to win this Euros. Um, if he doesn't, first of all, do you think he's gone? Yeah, I, I think I think he'll he'll walk away. After. Okay, so we assume then that's that. The next favourites to be England manager at this moment in time, uh, we're talking the likes of Potter, Eddie Howe, even Jose Mourinho has been linked a little bit, Lee Carsley from the 21s. Yeah. Um, who would you see as a suitable replacement? For me, we, we, we have touched on it. I think you have to look at the very, very top of class to yeah. get England to where we all want them to be, and that's winning tournaments. And obviously we're talking, we're not quite sure what's going to happen in the summer, but this is a, a phenomenal team at yeah. the minute with some unbelievable talent. And if it's just that last little bit to get us over the edge... I think we have to look at Klopp and Guardiola. You've got to at least have a conversation with these guys because they've do, been at the top of the field for do you so reckon, long. Do you reckon they would do it on, on a sort of part-time basis? Still manage Man City, still manage Liverpool, manage England. Would they want to do that? That seems like an excessive workload, right? I, I think that would be too much for these guys who are at the very top of the field. And ultimately, when you're in that position as well, you're going to get slight little conflicts of interest, aren't you? Yeah. You know, with the England players you've got with you or without you, then when it comes to the squads. And I don't think you can manage the top, top teams and manage an international team yeah. part-time, if I'm honest with you. But do you know what? If that's the only way you can get a chink of light through the door really? to even get into these guys, it might be worth a conversation. I think to have either of those two guys at any point to manage England, I think we'd all be excited. Yeah, I do too. Because I think we think that could be the final piece of the jigsaw. Um, I think the the lead cars, the one's a little bit on the heartstrings because Gareth's come through the same. Yeah, it's a, sim- it's a similar story it's to Gareth Southgate, story, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's sort of inbred in him to know the England DNA, the England way and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you. I think if we could get... And this, is, I, I feel really bad talking about it like this because... Gareth Southgate is still our man, and I'm I'm really happy with Gareth Southgate. No, he's done unbelievable. Yeah, I I, really I am. I'm like you. Look, I I expect us to do well in the tournament. I think we've got certainly as good a chance as three or four of the other top teams, even though we are favourites. Um, and it'd be nice to have this conversation post the tournament and say, Gareth, you've won the Euros for England. You've done your time. He's done ten years. It'd be an incredible achievement. All right, I want to talk about Anthony Gordon Watto um, doing unbelievable things with Newcastle. Is is kind of rise and how quickly he's got to that level. Probably taking a few people by surprise. Me personally, I absolutely love watching this lad play. Right, I love I love how energetic he is, how enthusiastic his aggression. How even when he does like a sliding tackle or he wins a corner or a free kick, he gets up and he's getting the fans going. I love to see that. Do I? I really, really do. There's been some news in the press lately that um, Scotland are trying to poach him. Scotland are trying to poach him from the England setup, um, as I think he's got Scottish grandparents or something. First of all, if you're Anthony Gordon, would that be something that you would ever think, oh, that's a possibility, that? Because I know that if I go and play for Scotland, I, I, I'm playing week in, week out. Yeah, look, I think, you know, his grandparents, they'll be a massive part of his family, and he would want to potentially represent Scotland at some point. But I think if he looks at that England team at the minute or that England squad, and if he really believes in his own ability that he can get in that squad, yeah. and you feel as though you can get in there, England have got a chance over the next two or three tournaments of doing something really special. Yeah. And that's not being disrespectful to Scotland. 
he could take the Scotland pathway and he could get 50 to 100 caps quite comfortably. Yeah. Whereas if he takes the England pathway, he might not get 20 caps. Yeah. But if you want to be part of something special over the next generation, and he's certainly got the ability to do so, then it might be worth thinking about. But there's going to be one point when he's sat on the sofa like we are here where he thinks, hold on a minute, the right side with Saka looks tied down a little yeah. bit. Right, who have I got against me on that left side? So there's Foden, there's Rashford. Grealish, there's Rashford. And then you're thinking, right, where, where do I sit within this? And it will be difficult for him and he'll be under pressure for sure because doing the things he's doing at Newcastle, he wants to be representing an international team and yeah. playing on the international stage. Scotland are still going to the tournament next summer and I remember talking to um, Shea Adams and Stuart Armstrong at Southampton when when um, they got to tournaments and looking to get to tournaments. International football gives you all that. Yeah. And just to make that step up again is a big thing. Um, it, I can't tell you how hard a decision it is for him, though. Oh, gosh. Um, whilst we're talking about those those positions, the second position, the Grealish, the forward... Are we in agreement that Saka has nailed that one down, yeah? Yeah. We've got we've got Saka indelible marker, he's in, yeah? yeah? If he's fit and well, I think he's got that right side nailed down. So I think we're only looking at one part of the team because we're saying Kane at nine, Bellingham, Bellingham at ten, Saka on the right. On the right. Who's starting on the left then? <sighs> this is do you know what this is? It's it's at that moment in time who's in form. Yeah, it I, is. It's as simple as that. You can you can name all of them players that we've just mentioned there, all of them, right? And it doesn't matter. Nobody can say with certainty. It's all about fitness and form yeah. when it comes round, and it's as simple as that, isn't it? But the one thing that we're positive in this conversation is there's not much between them. Yeah. Where sometimes you, you with, with England or even a club team, if uh, plan A is not working. The drop off oh, to B or C yeah. is huge. It's a nightmare. We've not really got that. We're because talking that to that to that to because that. Because we've that, got that. a really good group, and I think that's what's given us all that hope that we can do something special now. Because we don't have massive drop offs in ninety percent of the team. Yeah, we've got good backup, and we've got a good group. It's only like we spoke earlier in the show. There's maybe two or three areas where we've not quite got the depth. If you were Anthony Gordon right now at this moment in time, little scallywag, yeah, 100 grand a week, playing for Newcastle, Champions League, Premier League, ripping it up, you've got the option to play for England or you've got the option to play for Scotland and you know that with the Euros coming up, you're going to be playing in a major tournament for Scotland, starting week in, week out, or are you biding your time and waiting for the England call? I think I, I would have to just really do me bit and try and get in that England squad England squad all day long wouldn't you I would do exactly the same because it sounds bad if you know it, no it doesn't sound bad it doesn't no, sound no, bad sure. he lives in England he plays for an English team yeah. he he's just won the tw- the, the Euros he's played for the 21s he's just won the Euros he, he's for done the his 21s bit. this is just a spanner in the works at the minute and Scotland fair play to him because if they see a chink at oh, play, without they, doubt. for a player of his ability they should go all in and try and and try and do it, but I, I think Gordon um, is doing enough. He, he he's close. He's, yeah, he's very he's close. close. But obviously, Jared Bowen's pulled out this this for the game tonight. So um, you know he's got to think that's that's the starting point, isn't it? Okay, uh, we've got the quiz coming up very very soon. Um, it's just a two way quiz, so this should be an absolute walkover. To be for me, yeah. All right, we'll see. Uh, we just want to talk about the Everton points deduction because this kind of 
there were rumblings. Don't get me wrong, there were rumblings, and there's a few teams that there's been rumblings, but it seems to have just gone womp. Overnight, boom. Everton, 10 points. You're in 19th position now. You've got four points. Deal with it. And that's it. Yeah, well, look, Everton are obviously naturally going to appeal the decision. So, as we're sat here, the league is what it is, and you're rightly saying they're on four points. Um, with an appeal pending, we have to wait and see. Um, my, my, my point would be, and I think we touched on it on the show last week, I really do believe it is the best time to have the points taken off you. Really? If they win this weekend, yeah. they're already out of the bottom yeah. three. So is it going to hurt them? Of course it's going to hurt them because they feel like they're starting again from nothing. But I think they've got enough quality to get through that. And ultimately, you never want to be associated with a team that's got deducted 10 points. But the way the bottom of the league is at the minute, they're the, the within touching distance of getting out It's already. without doubt the best time to get there. But what it does do, though, I suppose, is it gives Burnley and your, and your Sheffield Uniteds, it gives them a glimmer of hope. It makes them go, lads, listen, yeah, they just had... T- we are, we're in a proper fight here. They're one of us at this moment in time. Yeah. They're one of us in this dogfight, all right? So we give this a proper go now. Well, when you're at the bottom, you always want to pull as many, many teams back do. into it as yeah, you can. Through that, you yeah. don't want it to be three or four. Yeah. You want it to be five or six. So at the minute now, if we were talking, it were potentially four. This brings them in. That's yeah. five teams. And stress, pressure, the whole scenario around it might lead to different things. Do you know what? When you're one of those teams down below, because I've, I've been in one of those teams. I've been a, a Watford and I've been a West Brom. And I've, I've seen how much of a slog it is week in, week out, right? When you're, when you're playing in for one of them teams, every single other match in that Premier League weekend, right, you want the team with less points to lose. That's how you view it, I promise you, yeah? Oh, sure there's nothing about, oh, I like them. Or, you want the team who are favourites to win that match. It's as simple as that because you want that gap between you and that one above you to stay there. You want them to lose. You want to overtake them. You want to over- That's how it works, doesn't it? Oh, so sure. I guarantee you all of these teams now down at the bottom are going to be going, right, we're going to give this a go it's here. It's game on again. We're going it? to give this a go here. It is game on. But do you think that Sean Dyche has, has got it within not only within the squad but within himself, within his coaching staff to go, lads, lads, if ever there's a time to get a points deduction, it's right now. All he can do with himself and his staff is turn the real negativity of this into a positive within the four walls, get the dressing room really tight, say, look, lads, we were flying here. We, we, we were thinking we wanted to try and break in the top ten. Yeah. Yes, we've had ten points off, and at the minute the reality is we're in the relegation place, places, but we're miles better than that. We've got to get that siege mentality back, and we're going to show whatever you do to this football club that we're fighting for it. We'll use the fans at Goodison Park and we're going to climb that league and show that everybody were wrong. And then obviously on the back of an appeal, hopefully they get the 10 points back and they could finish wherever. They'll smash on again. It's going to be interesting to see then what's going to happen with Chelsea and Man City, whether they get a points deduction. I mean, we've seen in the past, haven't we, but in years gone by, like Rangers, for example. You remember Rangers yeah. getting dropped down to like the third division? It happened to, I think, Juventus, Juventus, Luke? Yeah. Happened to Juventus, down the leagues. Um... Whether they've, whether they've got it in them to do something like that to a Man City. Because apparently the amount of charges Man City have been sort of hit with. Um, but that just seems to be rumbling on, doesn't it? Rumbling on, rumbling on. Whether they, I mean, they could give Man City, honestly, they could give Man City a 30 or 40 point deduction and they will still probably be OK, wouldn't they? They'll certainly be OK. They'd, they'd still be challenging for the Europa places. I think both of those two teams 
have got to be really thinking behind the scenes. We, we, we could be in big trouble here. Yeah. Because it's been a big penalty straight away to Everton. And like you said, the number of charges uh, for City is incredible. I'm not quite sure of the number for Chelsea. But those two teams will be looking at that because... That's just the start. Isn't that's, it? that's scaring them. That is now. Isn't I, it? I think so. That would have scared them and a lot of other teams who might know something or think something and be thinking, "Oh God." Yeah, we've all got to play to the same rules now. Yeah, which, exactly. which is actually going to be better for the the, the long term of the of the league. For sure. Of the Premier League, simple. Right, Watto, fantastic show. Thank you. All your knowledge behind the scenes stuff, breaking it down, all the details, the nitty gritty. We love it, don't we? Big thank you to Watto. Uh, before we go, quiz time, baby. Should be an absolute walkover. Right, quiz time. Uh, it's just me and Watto today. Um, this is going to add to the total, though, right? Yeah, because as 100%. It stands, yeah, this adds to the total. Mark, you're not here. It's your own fault. So, you know, if one of us... Well, when, when one of us wins, <laughs> then, you know, we add to our total. Mark's currently lead with four. Then it's me with three, you with two. Jamie, you've got the questions ready? Yeah, I've got the questions ready. It is specifically Euros questions Did today. you say specifically or specifically? Specifically. Well done. Specific. You did. Did I say... <laughs> Great English. <laughs> come on, Jay. Come on, Jay. All right. Here we go. Come European on. European get... Championship quiz. Yeah. Question one. Who won the Euro 2012 tournament? Spain. Correct. Spain beat Italy 4-0, and that's the highest score ever in a Euros final. Good stats. Mm. Question two. Where was the Euros held in 1996? England. England. What I... Come on, Jamie. <laughs> no, no, come on, mate. We can't have voices from behind the scenes. We can't have voices from... It was Ben. Ben. Oh, no. It was Ben. Oh, my God. Because I said the question and I heard a sigh over there, so I looked over there and I was just then... Ben had the right hook ready. Oh, my God, mate. Even you know. I know nothing, do I? You know everything. Oh, my God. Is that 2-0? 2-0. Right. Question three. Who is the only player to score in the finals of two consecutive Euros? Mbappe. He has played for Spain in the 2008 and 2012 Euros. I say it's not Mbappe. It's, it's not Mbappe, unfortunately. He plays for France. <laughs> Torres. Fernando Torres. Oh, is the come answer. on. One of them told you that. What? Oh, my God, mate. You're so detrimental about these things. Honestly, if I'd have got that England one thrown in there, I'd be 2 1 up, not 2 1 down. Yeah. You wouldn't have even got that answer. My grand had a set of should be my Yes, exactly. Don't worry about it. At some point, you can show some humility and say, actually, that's a very good answer. Thank very you. Good answer. 2 1. 2 1. Question four. Which team did England beat in a two legged playoff match? Scotland. To qualify for the Euros 2000. Scotland. Uh, son, you seen it? I'm happy for you. You're getting a couple. It's the, the Gaza chair one, was it? No, that was in the. Um... This is one that we won the second leg. Don Hutchinson scored. One nil. No. Yeah, it's good football knowledge. Yeah. Is that in the question? <laughs> Don Hutchinson. Three one to Ben. Question five: Who was the sponsor of the Euro 2020 match ball? Hublot. No. Hublot, they're watches. 
He meant Hummel. Oh, he meant Hummel. Are we talking sponsor or manufacturer? Ah, manufacturer, that's what he means. Everybody knows that. He uh, said no, Hublot. I, I, was think, <laughs> I wasn't thinking that. No, they're the sponsor. No, they're the brand. They're the sponsor. Matchball. He says basically. The dude, the you. should be manufacturer. Well, that's what he means. I know that. He obviously knows that. It's obviously not going to be Hummel. It's not obviously. No, but I wasn't thinking about the ball. I was thinking about the. The whole so anyway, Jamie, it's Adidas. Adidas is the correct answer. It's a bad <laughs> question that happened. <laughs> no, Hubro sponsored the Euro. You yeah, right. don't know. Yeah, right. The do. <laughs> God, man. It's not on my answer, unfortunately. <laughs> no, it's say not. Adidas. It says Adidas, and it said they became sponsored in 2008. There so you go. Oh, mate, he's got he's got into. Is me that four one? It's four one. Okay. Yeah, but it's still possible to come back. I know Always that, Jamie. Don't you fret, mate. Question. Can you name one of the three sides who have won the Euros on home soil? Germany. No. Oh, that's oh my God. <laughs> that's not good. Uh, France. Correct. France, <laughs> 1984. Who's the other two? Spain in 1964 and Italy in 1968. Oh. Mm. Uh, that's 5-1. 5-1. <sighs> yeah. 5-1. Yeah. 5-1. Four questions left, yeah? Question seven, four questions left. Five. The first time the Euros was hosted by two countries was in two, Euro 2000, but what countries were they? Russia and Poland. No. No. In what year? Euro 2000. 2000. Yeah. Was hosted by two countries for the first time in Euros history, but what countries were they? I think I know it. No, you, I, I was going to say... Um, Poland, Ukraine, but it's not because that's 2012. I think I know it. Spain and Portugal. That's what I was going to say. Not Spain and Portugal. Okay. It's Belgium and Netherlands. Ooh. In what year? 2000? Euro 2000. Didn't yeah. know that. There we go. Did not know that. So still 5 1. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> he just realised he hasn't can't win. <laughs> I think we should readdress the Hublot question. <laughs> question eight. Who has played in the most European Championship tournaments? Germany. <laughs> no. What, what player? Oh, player. F Honestly, mate. Which player has played in the most I mean, Germany is technically the correct answer if it is... Podolski. ...team. But it's player. It's not Podolski, no? He's it's just not Podolski. Podolski, no. It's not Podolski. Has you done? Um... It's it's a striker. It's the one that scores all the goals. I know his name. I know he, I, I know who you want to say. Five, four, three, two. Stefan Kuntz. No, it's Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, is it? Well, he doesn't play for Germany, does he? No, <laughs> no, but he, I know. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't have to be a German player. But you made it sound like it was a joke. <coughs> Germany as a nation have played in the Euros 14 times. Yeah. yeah. But Ronaldo... So I've got that bit right there, Tom, didn't I? Has played, played more five games. Times, five times. Ah, okay. Five yeah. different yeah. tournaments. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not having this. Honestly, I'd be in with a shout here if the questions yeah, would have been a little bit word, yeah. up on it. Question nine. There has only been two countries that have won the Euro three times. The Euros three times. Can you name one? Spain. France. Spain is the correct answer. France, they haven't won it three times. 5 2. Germany is the other team. Don't be patronising, right? 
we have question 10. We're yeah. question 10, but we do have question 11 as we well. We may as well, while well, we're here. For the, everyone at home yeah. as well, you know what I mean? Question 10. Which country has featured the most times at the Euros and has never won the trophy? England. Correct. Oh, good, yeah. England really have good. featured 10 times and never won a trophy. Really Everyone good. who's featured more have won the trophy. Nice. Yeah. So what's the scores now? 5-3. 5-3. Honestly, there's been a couple of dodgy ones there as well, isn't there? You know dodgy ones. Jesus. <laughs> Come Question on, just get this to 11. Me. Who is England's top goal scorer in the European Championships? Shearer. Shearer is the correct answer. Oh, seven. You had a good late Five, surge there, mate. Four. Too little, too late, but I'm proud of you. You just switched off, love. <laughs> I did, yeah. <laughs> I did. He won. I did. Well, um, done, well done, lads. Hey, well done today, mate. I'm proud of you there. You did great. Uh, thank you for watching, everybody. Uh, see, we make the most out of an international break, don't you? That's what we do. Watto, you've been an absolute superstar. We'll see you all next week when the Premier League is...